You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, let's make sure that our cell phones are on silent, please, and let's focus in. I have so much to go over in only one verse of Scripture. And isn't that incredible how the Lord can say something that, and he says it in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 words. And it would probably take me 12 months to get through everything. Well, I have, a, I have a question. I, I struggled with how to start this, and I wrote three different introductions. And the third one that I wrote that I think I'm actually going to use, I just wrote right there. Do, do we really need Jesus? No, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, hang on. It's a hypothetical question. Do, do we really need him? And so many people in America would say, yes. Yes, we need him. We're a very religious people in America. We're a very religious people, and in Texas especially, even much more so than Illinois, where I came from. Illinois is a very cold place, not just in weather. Illinois is a very cold place as far as their mind and their spirit is concerned. They're, they're nice people, but they're very standoffish people. You don't hear of, oh, Illinois hospitality, do you? <laughs> I, I tell you, I just love that northern hospitality. There's a reason you do not hear that. Because when you are born in Illinois, you are automatically qualified to work at the DMV. Where are my fellow northerners here, right? Right? Absolutely. People down here are nice. People down here are nice, and they know that they're nice. People down here are religious, and they know that they are religious. People down here know who Jesus is, and they know that they know who Jesus is. And we have gotten so used to it. Up in Illinois, it's very difficult to knock on somebody's door and tell them about Jesus because they've, they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. They have their religion. They have all those different things, and they just don't want to talk about religion or politics up north. Down south, everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to talk about Jesus. Everybody wants to talk about it. We are very religious people. The hard part about up north is you can't get people to listen. The hard part about down here is you cannot get people to admit that they're sinners. You can't get people, to, oh, oh, maybe they say, yes, I am a sinner, but we compare ourselves with other people, and I am not so bad as so-and-so. And when you start comparing yourself to other people, you start, I then have to ask as a pastor, do we really need Jesus then? If we are such good people, if we are such religious people and we're just okay, do we, then why are we doing this? Why are we, why am I doing this? If we can get to heaven on our own, why am I doing this? If, If sinners can find their own way to heaven, do we really need him? And my answer is, By the way we act, I don't think we believe we need him. By the way we we conduct church, I don't believe we think we need him. When we come into contact with problems, I do not believe we think that we need him. When you run into a financial situation, you tell me that it's your first reaction to fall on your knees and ask Jesus for help. Or do you just throw money at it? When is the last time you had to ask the Lord to feed you? Or do you just go to the pantry? 
When's the Lord you had, when's the last time you had to trust the Lord and rely on the Lord to do something for you in a miraculous way? Or has our life allowed us to rely on a lot of other things to the point where we believe we need those things more than we need him? I don't like going to the doctor, you know? I'm a man. When you meet a man who wants to go to the doctor, I don't trust, I don't trust him. <laughs> but even I will go to the doctor, Brother Matt, once I realize that I'm truly sick. But until I come to terms with the fact that I'm truly sick, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I went to the doctor when I sliced my foot the other day with an axe. But do you know my first, my first reaction? Super glue. I don't, want to go to, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to deal with paperwork. I don't want to deal with the, the, the bills. Oh, the bills that are coming in. My goodness gracious. Which, by the way, if you just complain a little bit, it's amazing the thousands of dollars that they'll knock off. When I was at the, uh, when I was at the urgent care, like we need to transport you in, a, in an ambulance to the hospital. I, I, Cha-ching! <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to ride an ambulance. Sir, we'll do it for free. Oh, cool. Uh, what, and, and that's like a $4,000 ride. Can you imagine going to the, to the jeweler and saying, I really like that Rolex, but I don't want to pay for it. All right, we'll knock off four grand. <laughs> cool. No, no other place, right? No other, no other time. But I realized when my, when my bone is sticking out and my blood is pulsing all over the kitchen floor, sorry to be gross, I just want you to have sympathy for me. I need to go to the doctor. Because I came to a stark conclusion that I could not get past, I need help. And that's our problem. We've never come to the stark conclusion that you need help as a sinner. We justify it. We put it away. But until you come to terms with your sinful disease, you don't need Jesus. But if we could wrap our minds around how truly depraved we are, maybe just maybe more people would come to him. And that's why sometimes the Lord has to take everything that you are relying on and remove them. Sometimes that's why he has to take all the money that you usually throw at things and he's got to take it all away to where you have to say, I need him. Even though you need him with zero dollars in your bank account, just as much as you need him when you have one million dollars in your bank account. But how natural is it for us when we have something else that we can rely on, we rely on that before we rely on the Lord. And it's the same reason why men don't go to the doctor. They don't realize how sick they are. And my argument this morning is that you will not come to Christ because you do not realize how sinful you are. If you have ever come to Christ before and asked him to be your savior, it was because you were convicted of your sin. But if you have never been convicted that you are a sinner, dark and black and deep and filthy in the eyes of a holy God, you'll never come to him because you don't need him. But you need him. We need a savior. 
and so much more now than ever. Watch the news recently. We are in what the Bible calls the last days. Now, we have been in the last days for a long time. I would say we're in the latter part of the last days. I was talking to one of you the other day, and I said, would it not surprise you greatly if the Lord did not come back during our lifetime? If the Lord did not come back during my lifetime, and I, and I lived for 70 years, I believe the last words on my deathbed would be, I'm surprised. We are in the last days. The rapture is imminent. Judgment is imminent. Tribulation is imminent. And do you know how I know that? Because there are signs given in Scripture. And I'm seeing more and more signs. If I wanted to reach, I almost said California, but why in the world anybody would want to reach California? I've got no clue. If, if I wanted to reach Albuquerque, because everybody wants to go to Albuquerque. If I wanted to reach Albuquerque, that's a, that's a long way away, isn't it? It's a long way away. If I start heading that way, I'm not going to see a lot of signs for it, because it's very far away. But the closer I get, the more signs I'm going to see. And we are seeing more and more signs. And that tells me we are getting closer and closer and closer. But there's one passage of scripture that really gives a lot of signs about the last days. It's in Matthew chapter 24. That's where we're going to go. And there's one sign in particular that to me is more fearful than any other. It is more fearful to me than any other. And yet I think out of all these signs that are given, ushers, keep him out. He walks out every single service. Keep him out. If we are going to read Matthew chapter 24, we get so caught up in all these other signs that we get fearful about. And the Lord actually says, don't be afraid of those. But the ones that I think we read over so quickly are the ones that we should be the most concerned about. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples ask the Lord three questions, and he starts to answer them. Notice what he says in verse, in verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Does that not fear, is that not going on? And is that not fearful? We hear all the time, all it takes is for Putin to press a button, and all it takes is for... Biden to find the button, and all it takes is for this to happen. And oh my goodness. And yet Jesus says, see that you be not troubled. Don't let that bother you. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Because that's, the, the, that's one of the questions they ask. When is the end? Hey, the end is not yet, even when you see wars and rumors of wars. For a nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. That scares us. Pestilences. Oh, we don't know anything about that. You know, an, up, an updated word for pestilences? Epidemics. And earthquakes in diverse places. There was just an earthquake right outside of, uh, and it's sending a tsunami somewhere, right outside Alaska. Everywhere it's happening. All these are the beginning. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. That's fearful, isn't it? We don't want to go through persecution. We don't want to be able not to trust one another. And yet, Jesus says in another, in another place, don't fear those who are able to kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. So all these things that people are so caught up about, about the last days, oh my goodness, the Lord says, whoa, 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 hey, hey, not, not to be worried about here. Verse 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Mm-hmm. This is the one that scares me. Verse 12. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That scares me. And it should scare you. And I'm going to try to show you why. Lord, bless the preaching of your word as only you can. Save the soul that is nearest hell in this room. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we can understand that verse, we have to understand two words. Two very important words. Until we understand those two words and their biblical definition, we will not understand why that verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, is so fearful. The first word, we're going to turn to many different places, and we're going to find that first word. First of all, let's go to Psalm chapter 32. Be quick. Let thy, let thy fingers be nimble. Here's the deal. As soon as I get there, I'm going to start reading. Psalm 32, verse 5. And I want you to try to find the word as we go through. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Chapter 51. Let's go there. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Chapter 53, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Go to Matthew chapter 23. We were just right there in Matthew 24. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Anyone want to give a guess to our first word? Iniquity. Let's go to our second word. You don't have to turn here. John 3, 16. What do you think our second word is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What about Romans chapter 5, verse 8? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's turn there.
We see a different word for love here, charity. There were three different words for love, three different common words for love in the Greek language, phileo, eros, and agape. And they were interchangeable depending on the context they would use those different ones. Charity, though, takes love and makes it love in action. Charity is love in action. There, the, the Holy Spirit wanted there to be absolutely no confusion as to what kind of love he's talking about. And notice what he says in chapter 13. I think we're going to start in verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Oh, that's interesting. There, there's the other word. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. 1 John chapter 4. Wouldn't it be great, Brother Bradley, wouldn't it be great if there was somewhere in the Bible that just clearly said, hey, this is what love is. All right, this is the Bible definition of love. Wouldn't that be great, just to make it clear? Well, lucky day. 1 John 4, verse 10. Here's what God says. Herein is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here's what we're going to do in this message. First of all, I want to take some time to talk about the definition and power of love. Then I want to talk about the definition and power of iniquity. And then we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, and we're going to see how the Bible puts those two words together. So that's the third thing we're going to do. The fifth thing we're going to do, I haven't lost my mind, stick with me. The fifth thing we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into that verse and see what it means for us. What does it look like for us today? When we see those two words put together, two words with such power, but also with such disparity, one from another, what does it mean for us? But I think before we can do that, there's an initial, there's an immediate and necessary reaction that we have to come to. There's a conclusion that we have to reach when we see these two words put together in the way that they are put together in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And that might be as far as we get today, I don't know. But first of all, think with me about the definition and power of love. I don't want to sound like a Disney movie here, just stick with me for a sec. In this world, the word love has been tainted. And the word love has been misapplied. We use it far too flippantly, we use it far too often, and we use it when we should not use it. To the point that it has been greatly damaged because to this world, love is conditional. To this world, love is conditional. And here's what that means. It has an end. To this world, love can end. 
And it is dependent upon reciprocation. As long as there is reciprocation, then there can be love. That is the world's definition of love. It is conditional. That's where divorce comes from. People that had once said, I love you, and made vows to one another, till death do us part. Let something far less than death part them. Because love is conditional and driven by reciprocation. That's why friendships end. We were friends because you gave me this. Now you are no longer giving me this. We are no longer friends. Think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 16. And as long as he had money and he went to the far country, they were all around him. But as soon as he lost his money, his friends forsook him. Because their love was conditional. Or at least what they called love was conditional. That's why churches die. Because love is conditional. Because their love has an end. Because their pastor's love has an end. And because church members' love toward one another has an end. Based on what person B does for person A and vice versa. According to the world, love is earned, not given. According to the world, love is selfish. It's all about what you can get. You, I get companionship, I will love you. You take away that companionship, I will no longer love you. In fact, I'll turn on you so quick. That is not love. I get money, I will love you. I get support, I will love you. I get compliments, I will love you. I get agreement, I will love you. We are seeing that everywhere today, Brother Ben, everywhere. As soon as you disagree with somebody, it's because you hate them. No, it's not. No, no, no it's not. We can disagree. We can disagree about some things, and that doesn't mean I hate you. But according to the world, as long as I have agreement with you and you have agreement with me, we can love each other. But as soon as we disagree, we are opposite ends of the spectrum. That's selfish. To this world, love is words. Speak it. I love you. You know I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's exactly what Peter did, didn't he? Three times. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Words. Wait, 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 wait. If you love me, act. If you love me, feed my sheep. My stinking brother, every time I text him, hey, bro, I love you, he'll text back, feed my lambs. <laughs> Weirdo. And to this world, love, love is word. Love is word. And some of you have dealt with that, and you get sick of it. Oh, you know I love you. I do? I do? To this world, love is weak. It quits as soon as it hits an obstacle. That's weak. Stay married until you hit your first rough patch and then be done. That's weak. Stay in a church and serve until you hit your first obstacle and then leave. Weak. According to this world, love thrives when it's easy. It dies when it's hard. It does not endure. That is not love. That is not love. That is not love. 
is certainly not biblical love. And my argument, if it's not biblical, then it's not love. What is the Bible definition? It's not conditional. It's unconditional. Which means once it begins, it does not end, no matter what. Once it begins, it does not end. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's Bible love. John chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says about Jesus, he loved them to the end. That's unconditional. It started unconditionally. It will not end conditionally. That is not Bible love. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Sinners. God loved sinners. It started unconditionally. We had nothing to give him. We were not lovable or lovely. But he loved us. That is un- herein is love. When you love somebody not because of what you can get, and therefore you don't stop loving them if you don't get it. It's selfless love, not selfish love. Bible love is willing to die before it stops. Willing to die before you hate. It's not words, it's deeds. 1 John 3.18, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Romans 5.8, God showed, commendeth, proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he did something about it. Christ died for us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he did something about it. That he gave his only begotten son. It's not just words, it's deeds. And it's not weak, it's strong. It overcomes obstacles. It doesn't run from them. It grows in hardship. Listen, charity suffereth long. Charity beareth all things. Charity endureth all things. There's power in that, people. Do I need to go any further to say, how much would this world be changed if we, you realize how much this world changed because one person loved unconditionally? The, the hinge of history was Jesus of Nazareth because he loved through deed in selfless love, unconditionally, and it was strong love. One person changed this world through love, biblical love. Would your marriage not change if you love that way? If you were to love that way, unconditionally, selflessly, indeed, not just in word, and keep strong love that went through obstacles, you tell me, would your marriage not look stronger than it did today? And if you shake your head yes, that tells me you're lacking that love. Would your, kids, would your relationship with your kids not look different if you loved that way? Would our church not look different if we loved that way? 
I think we're a kind church. I think we're a warm church. I think we're a loving church. But would our church not look different if we loved unconditionally, strongly, selflessly, and in deed and not just in word? Would our church not look different? And if we say yes, that is an admission that we're lacking. And that should scare you. Because Jesus says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, when ye love one another. So if we have to admit that our lives, our church, our business, our family, our kids, our marriage, our ministries would look different if we loved that way, then that is also an admission that we are failing to love the way God told us to love. We are not unleashing the power of biblical love. We don't have it. We already don't have it. Let's talk about what we do have. The definition and power of iniquity. Remember, church, how I started this. You are never going to see your need for Jesus until you realize how sick we are. You tell me that we are loving the way that we should love. And is that not bad enough? Because he said, I want you to grab Genesis all the way to Malachi and hold that and tear all of that out and replace it with this. Love God and love your neighbor. All of the law and the prophets is summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And if we are not doing that, we are negating, we are negating 75% of our Bible. Are we not sick enough? As it is. Just with our lack of love. Let's talk about our presence of iniquity. There are three Bible words that talk about the same subject. And they're all in Psalm chapter 32, verse 5. Let's go back. Let's go back. Psalm 32, verse 5. Word number one, sin. Word number two, there's actually two different forms of it. One is transgression, one is trespass. Word number three is iniquity. And notice that even though they all talk about the same subject, there is a difference to them, especially in the last phrase. I have acknowledged my sin. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. This is a cool one. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. I studied it out. Here's, here's the simplest way I could put it. Sin uh, can apply to anything that is against God's law. Any infraction against God's law, whether by commission or omission. Trespass and transgression is a little bit more specific. It is specifically talking about the breaking of a boundary. When there was a previous line drawn and you cross over it willingly. When you see a sign that says do not enter and you enter, you're trespassing. So when the Lord says, thou shalt not, and you know it says thou shalt not, and you do it anyway, you have trespassed 
against the Lord. Transgressing is the opposite when he says, do not leave this place and you leave it. You have transgressed. The Hebrew word is, is pesha, pesha. When Jacob leaves Laban, unbeknownst to Laban, you remember that story? Laban chases after Jacob and accuses him of all these different things. But Jacob's argument is, I have already fulfilled my contract with you. I worked seven years for Rachel, and you gave me Leah instead. And so then I worked another seven years, and I have fulfilled my contract. He asks this, what is my transgression? Where did I leave what, you, what I agreed not to leave? Where is my pasha? Trespass and transgression is the, the breaking of a boundary. Iniquity is deeper. Iniquity is darker. It is filthier. We may not all sin the same way, but we all have the same iniquity. Iniquity is the capacity within all of us to commit the grossest and vilest sins. Listen to me. I may, I may never murder somebody. No, don't push me. I may, never, I may never take somebody's life, but the capacity to do it is within me. Are we making sense? I may never commit the horrible atrocities that we read about this Gilgo Beach serial killer who was just caught the, uh, the, this last week. Since 2010, four, four women slaughtered, and they just caught this guy, and they're charging him. You may never do that, but you have the capacity to do that. Because your heart is filled with the same iniquity as anybody else's iniquity. Somebody's iniquity in their heart might bring more fruit of sin. Sin is the fruit. Transgression is the fruit. Trespassing is the fruit. But the root that we all share is the iniquity within us. We all have the capacity to commit the grossest sins. It is not beyond you, Brother Mike. It is not beyond you, Jeremy. It is not beyond you, Brother E.C., to commit the most gross sins. There is power in iniquity. Think about it, Brother Ben. Think about it. In this world, 8 billion potential Adolf Hitlers. The only thing that separates you and Adolf Hitler is the grace of God. You have the same iniquity that he did. The same inner capacity. He just let it come out. He just had the opportunity to let it come out. If you were in his position, you could have done much worse. Because of iniquity. Eight billion potential Bin Ladens. Eight billion potential Saddam Husseins. Eight billion potential Dahmers. Eight billion potential serial killers and rapists 
and thugs and terrorists, whatever you want to put it. Eight billion potential Ahabs. Eight billion potential Jeroboams. Eight billion potential Sauls of Tarsus. Because of iniquity. So if you keep on saying, well, my sin isn't too bad, you need to look much deeper than your sin. I haven't transgressed that much. You look deeper than your transgression. I haven't trespassed that much. I've grown up in church. You look deeper than that, and you look at the capacity that you have to do it, because that's what God looks at. Iniquity is the source of it all. Two incredibly powerful words. Love, iniquity. Such power, such disparity. And Matthew 24, 12 says, because iniquity, in the last days, because iniquity shall abound. Love will diminish. Are we not in the last days? Yeah, we are, which means this is a warning to you. You are not exempt from this because we've already admitted we already lack love as it is, and we already have iniquity as it is. But in the last days, Jesus gives a warning. Iniquity is going to grow and love is going to decrease, which means we would have to fight daily to be the exception to that. Nobody is exempt from that. We have to fight to be the exception. And we need to heed, heed the warning because it is happening now. It's happening all around us. It's happening within us. It's happening in our country. It's happening in our city. It's happening in our churches. Iniquity is abounding. And because iniquity is abounding, our initial reaction to that is to shut down. Is to shut down the only thing that will combat it. You tell me that you haven't been discouraged recently by somebody who has done something that they ought not have done. And your initial reaction isn't to love them more. Your initial reaction is to say, why am I doing this? And more and more, church, listen to me, more and more iniquity is going to abound and it is going to discourage you, ma'am. And it's going to discourage you, sir. And your initial reaction is going to be is to say, I'm done. Now, we'll talk about that next week because I'm like a quarter of the way through. Let's talk about the initial reaction that we have to have to this. Let's talk about the immediate conclusion we have to come to with Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. That Think about the timing of it. Think about the timing of it. In the last days. Now. Can we say that? Now. 
Now, here's what is going to happen. Jesus warned 2,000 years ago, this is going to happen. When you see wars and rumors of wars, are we not seeing that? When you see famines, are we not seeing that? And when you see earthquakes, are you not seeing that? And when we see kingdom rising against kingdom and nation against nation, are we not seeing that? Are we not seeing people stand up and say, this is what Christ said when Christ did not say it? Are we not seeing that? Are we not seeing people turn on one another and betray one another and, and say one thing and then be two-faced in another way? Are we not seeing a world filled with hypocrites right now? Every other sign that the Lord said is going to happen is happening. We can't ignore verse 12. Iniquity is going to abound and love is going to wax cold. Oh yeah, in the world, no, in the church. In the church, the world doesn't know what love is. The world doesn't know what iniquity is. They're not reading the Bible. You are. They don't have ears to hear. You do. It's your love he's talking about. It's your iniquity he's talking about. In the last days, when all those other things are happening, you cannot ignore that it is going to be the natural tendency for our iniquity to abound and our love to wax cold. What does that mean? Oh, my goodness, we need a Savior. We are a lot sicker than we think. We need a savior. Look around at our world. Iniquity abounds, people. The wars everywhere, the genocide, the, the useless killing, the threats, the greed, the oppression. Iniquity abounds in our world. Look at our country. Lead in the charge in sodomy. Lead in the charge. We are Babylon. Congratulations, United States of America. Lead in the charge in pornography. Lead in the charge. Empower women by taking their clothes off and putting them in front of a camera. Lead in the charge in it, aren't we? One of the greatest bolsters of our economy is sex. And the Lord is so pleased. And we call ourselves a Christian nation. I'd be careful to speak so foolishly. Look at our country. Look at, look at the greed. Look at the corruption in our country. Iniquity abounds. Look at our city. Look at our city. I don't know if you know this or not. Marijuana isn't legal here. Now, based on the smell, you wouldn't know it. Seriously, I, I've gotten to the point and I embarrass my wife, but I don't care. They're embarrassing themselves. I, I will be in the H-E-B parking lot and I'll smell it and I'll just scream, who's got the pot? <laughs> Somebody's going to say something about it. Who's got it? Who's got it? Who's breaking the law? There's drugs everywhere. There's alcohol everywhere. There's bars everywhere. You will... <laughs> you will not find 90% of the churches open tonight. 90% of the churches in Corpus Christi will be closed tonight. Yep. The bars will be open. Yep. The strip clubs will be open. The gentlemen's clubs will be open. Pastors will have their feet propped up tonight while prostitutes are running our streets. And while pimps are making a living, they're not falling asleep. Pastors are. In our city, iniquity abounds. Look at our churches. 
Look in our churches. Pews are empty. Thank God not here. Praise the Lord for it. But the pews being full is not, is not a sign that the Spirit is here. Many of us come for the wrong reason. We listen for the wrong reason. We fellowship for the wrong reason. We focus on the wrong things. But we feel good because we're doing it in church. And God is not impressed. We show up at 9 o'clock and say, all right, Holy Spirit, you can come. But we are done at 12.15, so you better do your work then. That ain't church. Iniquity abounds. But we don't see it. We don't see it because we're comparing ourselves to everybody else. And Jesus said, you're asking me about the last days, you're asking me about the end, and you're worried about all this stuff going on out here? You're worried about all this stuff happening in the world? Stop and look within and realize that in the last days, the biggest problem is going to be right here in the pew. Your iniquity will abound and your love will wax cold. Look at ourselves. The gossip, the hate, the strife, the bitterness, the shows that we watch. Some of you should be ashamed at what you watch in the name of entertainment. Well, pastor, they're just not coming out with anything that we can watch anymore. Then don't watch anymore. You realize we've only had TV for like less than a century. You, you, you were born in this little sliver of time where we have screens, and you just can't live without it. There's nothing good, don't watch it. And don't redefine what is good so that you can watch it. Our focus is wrong. We spend way more time on social media than on our knees. We fight about dress. We fight about music. We fight about... And we're so ignorant of God's word. We are so ignorant of God's word. We know the ball scores, and we know, does anyone say ball scores? We know the sports scores. We know who plays on which roster. We know all of that. But if I were to tell you, find me three verses that talk about repentance. Our focus is wrong. Oh, but I serve! So did Martha. The work of your hands is not an indication of the warmth of your heart. And here's the thing. Here's what this verse says. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Iniquity shall abound and love will wax cold. It's only going to grow. It's going to grow in quantity and it's going to grow in severity. Listen to me. Listen to me. We are lost enough already. We're sick enough already. We need Jesus enough now. 
to where I could give the invitation now. And if you are a sinner in this room that is not saved by grace, you should run up here and ask Jesus to save you. Or if you have been saved by grace, you should run up here and thank God for such love. That you will one day walk on streets of gold because of Jesus Christ. That not one sin is written on your account. That he reached down past your sin and past your trespasses and, tra and past your transgression. Reached all the way down to your iniquity and washed it clean. That is a deep savior. The wars that we see, according to this, are only going to grow worse. In quantity and severity. The oppression, quantity and severity. The drunkenness, quantity and severity. The sodomy and sexual immorality, in quantity and severity. LGBTQ plus, plus, plus. If a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman, why can't an adult marry a child? Oh, never. Yes. Yes. It's next. And America's leading the charge. And when an adult can marry a child, why can't an adult marry a horse? Oh, never. We said never in the 50s about a man marrying a man. It will happen. It will happen. It will happen. They are coming for your kids next. Disney! Hon, we're done with it. We're done with it. We have Disney Plus. We're done with it. We're canceling it. They have made it clear, we're coming for your kids. We're coming for your kids. We're not going to be as overt as Bud Light. We're not going to be as overt as Target. Target, Target. We're not going to be as overt. We are just going to slowly turn up the heat. We're done with it. We're done with it. We're done with it. We'll watch the old ones that were good. Fine. But all this new stuff, we're done. It's only going to grow in quantity and severity. The drugs here are going to grow in quantity and severity. Unless, unless, unless somebody chooses to love in spite of the iniquity. Like Jesus did for us. Psalm 130. No, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you. God bless you, though, for being so ready. Listen, 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 listen. Our iniquity abounds, and our love waxes cold. We need a Savior. And listen to what the Bible says. O Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquity, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. Oh, it gets better. Isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all.
my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He told Jeremiah, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. You get that? Their iniquity, whereby they have sinned. They sinned because they had the capacity because of their iniquity. So I'm not just going to forgive the sin. I'm going to forgive the source. (laughs) I will forgive all their iniquities. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Iniquity speaks of the depth, the darkness, the filth, the, the vileness. Is that a word? It is now. The vileness of our depravity. It is deep. Jesus is a deep savior. What did we just sing? Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. But you'll never come to him if you don't need him. And you'll never need them until you realize just how much your love is lacking and how much your iniquity is abounding. Just like I will never go to the doctor until I realize just how sick I am. But isn't it good news that though our iniquity is black, the light of Jesus shines brighter. And though our iniquity is deep, Jesus' blood runs deeper. And yes, our iniquity abounds, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You say, my iniquity is so deep. Jesus is a deeper savior. But you have to come to him. Iniquity is powerful, indeed. There's something more powerful than iniquity. Love. And herein is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll get into the rest of the verse later next week. But for now... You need a savior, sir. You need a savior, ma'am. I don't care what sins you've committed. I'm talking about your iniquity today. And Peter told those Jews in Acts, God raised up Jesus and sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquities. And 5,000 people believed that day. Because they saw how deep their sin was. They saw the blood of Jesus running off their very hands. Do you? Because you sinned just like they did. I like this one though. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Think right there of the filth of the stain. Dark, deep, scarlet, red. And then think of the cleansing of it. White. White as snow. Like wool. Like it never happened. And here's the only condition. Come. Come. Come to Jesus. When? Come now. Come now. If you don't see how deep your stain is, you won't come. If you do see it, what's keeping you? 
what's keeping you from a Savior so deep. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.